0: amen. Well, guys, tonight we want to join our study and continue our chapter-by-chapter study in the book of Proverbs. And so if you have a Bible, you can make your way there. But we also want to invite you. uh, We have printed out a little booklet that is available in in the foyer if you're interested in a very simple way. Our goal is to give you the ability to track through with us. And so we printed out the entire chapter of chapter 15 in this little booklet that you can mark up and 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 use tonight if you are so interested in doing. Now as we say that again that's an invitation for those who are here but if you're online right now we want to let you know that hey that's available for you as well. You can go to our website at calvaryroswell.com uh, go to today's message go under messages under today's and you'll have a little download link and you could download a PDF so that you could have the booklet you could print it out or you could just use it as a PDF on your device. Again, with the aim, Uh, one of the reasons we're doing this uniquely here in the book of Proverbs that we haven't done before and probably won't do after Proverbs is really because the way Proverbs lays out, that it's such a a book where every verse almost stands on its own and being able to track through that's a little bit challenging. And so we found it easier to do it this way. And we're just going to invite you to use the book if you're so wanting and just mark it up like crazy. I'm going to use kind of a little color coding and and shape system. You can use whatever you want. You can go whichever way you want. But for you just tracking with me, just a reminder, uh, I'll use like a green circle for, for like the main cause or focus and then a line. Uh, a green line for the result, we use a red box for something that's bad, and it's focus, and then the result in a line, we use the connecting word, a little blue uh, line there, and then if it's just a, a statement of God's character, we we'll use purple and kind of a different shape in the midst of that, but all of that in a way just so that our aim is that you'll see it that you'll see that in a way that as we approach this this evening, that God would meet you and open up his word and help it to connect with you right where you are. So let's take a moment right now and ask him for that. I'm going to ask one more time in prayer for that. I'm inviting you to pray as well, asking God that he would open up his word to you and connect it in a very special way tonight. Let's ask him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to come and spend some time together in that tonight. Would you help us to hear it? Uh, to understand what you're laying before us, that it would be a space this evening where your truth connects with our lives in a very, very real way. And and Lord, you know us. I I love that. And you can take this book of Proverbs that is so random at times and and covers so many different things, but you could connect it perfectly. And so I'm asking, as we often do, that you'd help us to understand these Proverbs, but maybe just one of them that we cover tonight would be special to each one of us, something we, we would know that that's the one we needed to think about, and we'd be able to take it home and, and grow in your ways and your wisdom. You're faithful to do that. I believe in your ability. I love your ability to do that. Please do that right now, connecting us where we are with your truth. We ask for that right now as we just submit it to you. We ask all of this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the Gospel of Luke, it gives us an amazing statement about Jesus as a, as a young man. It simply tells us in chapter 2, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And it's this little window of watching the humanity of Christ, of watching, you know, following his birth and following some of the early things that his growing. And you watch this one who came as the Son of God into the world. You watch one who never sinned who was perfect his entire life. It was just an amazing thing. And yet Luke lets us know he was growing. He was growing. He was learning. He was learning wisdom. I mean, he never did anything wrong. But the process still had to take place in the midst of that. And I find myself attracted to that because I want to invite you to grow as well. That if, if, if I can put it in the most simple way, if Jesus had to grow in wisdom, you and I do too. Uh, you do, and and, and there's hope in that. And it's not always a statement that, that, you know, correcting where we're wrong, although sometimes it's it's just like, okay, how do we do these things better? How do we walk the way we're supposed to walk? And certainly the book of Proverbs is meant to connect you, so what is said of Christ would be said of you. That it could be that you'd put your name in there and say, and your name increased in wisdom. May it be so tonight as we just again join here in Proverbs 15 to learn God, what he has for us in wisdom. So we begin in chapter 15. We just launch right in there in verse 1, and we notice the first proverb for us this evening. Simply reads it this way. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's a pretty well-known proverb, but worth your just processing it through. The good thing that he's highlighting here is having a soft answer. Being one who is gentle in speech and handles things well, he says that that has a way of just diffusing a situation. It turns away anger when that would take place. In contrast, a harsh response, a harsh word in in, in language, it can just incite, it can pour oil on a fire in many ways, saying it wrong, saying it badly, and, and just launches out in an incredible way. It's a pretty, just again, simple reality, and we could talk about a bunch of different illustrations, I could give you even biblical illustrations, but the thing is, I think about it this way, you probably know it, I don't think there's anybody here in this room that's like, man, I have no idea what that looks like, I have no idea, to imagine." mad, just like, no, I think you probably watched it, hope it's been you at some place where there's tension or something, and just handling it well speaking gently, just kind of softened the place, and just what seemed like it could have gotten really agitated just went really weird, really really better, but then you might have been in the other place where just something happened, and it seemed really small, seemed like a really insignificant thing, and then somebody just spoke unkindly and the way they spoke, and all of a sudden, this little thing, just, whoa, like, what happened here? I mean, you get it, right? I mean, think about it this way. David Guzik, in his commentary, said, many conflicts arise not because of the issues separating the parties are so great, but because of the temperaments of the people that they bring to a confrontation, and saying it again in a simple way, that's just the truth. I mean, I can tell you this, and maybe you already know this. It's true, Many of the conflicts that people have, it really, I mean, when you kind of sit down, and you're like, so what are you guys fighting about? You know, and you're like, and then you kind of talk about it. And they're like, do you guys actually realize you agree? You know, like, you, like you're actually saying the same thing in a different way. It's like, well, yeah, but yeah. You know, it's like, well, it's, it's not what you're saying so often. Sometimes it's just the way you say it. I mean, it, 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 it's just the, 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 the poor attitudes, the, the poor words that flow out of that that create the conflict, and it's one of those realities that you should know well. You should just be aware of and think, okay, you can do one of these two things. You can either be one who approaches a situation, and you just speak, and all of a sudden, you know, what was, you know, heading straight to a wall, it was going to go straight into conflict, all of a sudden, it's just diffused, and it's like, well, oh, that, that, that was interesting. It's, just, you, you, it's not that you, you, know, so, you know, changed what you were saying. You still had the same opinion that you had before. But you said it nicely. And you said it gently. And you said it with respect. And you said it with kindness. And, and, and it was in a way that in, in one sense, you just were like, huh, okay. You know, it's funny, I was reading this and I shouldn't spend too much time on this one, but Spurgeon did a whole sermon on this and he was talking about it in one way and he he talked about an illustration that he'd been walking along a hedge on his property and there was a dog that was messing, you know, uh, you know, with his hedges and, you know, he was trying to make, they were trying to make them all nice and he was just doing it wrong. And so he was so frustrated with his dog and so there he was on the other side of the fence and he was just, you know, at one point he just kind of picked up a stick and kind of just threw it over the dog and to kind of chase him away, not to hit him, but, you know, kind of to throw it near, you know, kind of just to make him go and the dog went and grabbed the stick and came back running with a stick, you know, just wagging its tail and just, and he's like, what could I say but Good dog. You know, it's like, what do you say to that? It's like, he just, he diffused the whole situation. I was so mad at him a moment ago, and now it's like, you know, it just, the way he handled my frustration was just, it just, he said, you know, we should be like that. We should be like the one that just, hey, someone throws something at us, and we're like, hey, you know, here, you can have it back, you know, it's like, I'm just great. It would be a wonderful place if we walked in such a way that we would be able to to diffuse anger. Well, in that, he kind of continues, and the next proverb kind of continues in a similar thought. It says, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. So the good thing is having this tongue that's wise, that... Uh, you know, wisdom controls you from just saying everything that you think. He says, if you do that, you use knowledge rightly. You think before you speak. You, you don't just say everything that's there and, 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 you, and you're kind of doing even what we just said, like there's a good way to say this and I could say this in a way that would incite anger and I don't want that. In contrast, he says the mouth of fools, someone who is not wise, who's not walking in the ways of God, he says he just pours forth foolishness. Or maybe literally, as a translation of it, just bubbles forth. Or one translation says it, you know, you just blurt it out. I mean, they just blurt out everything that they're thinking and and everything that they're saying. He says, that's such a foolish thing to do. You know, if we're going to walk wisely, we have to be the kind of person that, you know, is thinking about what we say and how we say it. Because a soft answer turns away wrath. And there's wisdom in the way that that would work. And he certainly calls us. Uh, to be able to walk in that. All right. Well, Proverbs 3, 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So, the good thing, the thing that we're noticing here is God's eyes, just his ability, his perfect knowledge, his perfect sight that is in the midst of this. He says they're everywhere. I mean, he, he, he sees everything, his eyes are in every place. Uh, just in, in the midst of that. And those keep watch. And that's maybe, it, it's maybe saying the same thing, but the idea of keeping watch has the idea of not just seeing, but evaluating. Not just aware, but being able to, to, to look in that and, and, and kind of, you know, judge and, and see what's happening in the midst of that. He sees the evil and the good and, and knows that. That's a pretty incredible reality. Uh, you probably know this. This might not be something that you didn't know before, but honestly, if you really know this, it'll change your life. If you really believe that there's not anything that God doesn't see. There's nowhere that you will ever be that, yeah, that God would not see you and see what you're doing and see what you're thinking and, and where that is. And, and there is that place where so often the, the dark, the things that are done in our world are what John would say, like in the Gospel of John, they're done in darkness. People thinking that nobody sees me. It's like, he sees you. Think about just the image of Jesus, so that picture of Jesus we have in the book of Re- Revelation, just his eyes like a flame of fire just this penetrating gaze, that he knows everything, he sees everything, and that would just, it it would be both that place, it would be restraining for us from doing things that we shouldn't, but it's also a place of just acknowledging his favor, it's like, well, Lord, you saw, you saw that I tried, you saw that I've been trying to do the right, you know, and and maybe nobody sees, and that's okay, you know, I did it for you. I'm living for you, and I'm living under this place of of your perfect sight, and it's a beautiful place to live, but it's helpful, and it's very, very true. All right, you can flip the page. Verse 4. It says, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So this chapter really has a lot to talk about. this very specifically the way that we speak. It began that way, calling us to a soft answer. This is a similar idea that a tongue that is bringing you know, wholesomeness, and it probably speaks both to the person who's speaking, but even to those who receive it. It says when, you, when your words are, are right, when they're wholesome, when they're good, it's like a tree of life. It's like something that is life-giving and fruit-bearing and beautiful and helpful. It's a really, really good thing. In contrast, if there's perverseness in it, if your tongue is broken and jaded and harsh, wicked even has the idea here, it breaks. It it breaks the spirit. It it would be that that would, would bring harm to other people. And I'm just calling you again to say, hey, you know, there is a place of seeing the power of our words, seeing the power of the way that we speak and certainly in a very clear way thinking, okay, there's a, there's a play of having a wholesome tongue that is a tree of life, but there's a place when there's perverseness in tongues. And they, and they can bring about destruction. And I know this. I knew this, that there's not any of us here this evening that's go, boy, that would sit here and go, boy, I'm so glad it's not me. <laughs> glad I've never done that. I think about what James would tell us when he talks about the tongue. He says it's an uncontrollable fire. It's an untamable thing. Nobody in this room has been like, I've never you know, spoken in a way that I shouldn't. But maybe we grow into a way that you think, I don't wanna be the one that leaves you know, just this trail of damage behind me. Uh, of, you know, even, you know, if I'm speaking truth, I, there's a way to speak it in a gentle and a kind way, and I find myself thinking of Jesus, how, how perfectly he pictures this, and one of my favorite uh, verses that speak of him out of Isaiah, but it's quoted in Matthew 12, uh, it says that he says a bruised reed, he will not break, and a smoking flax, he will not quench, and it's as if he's looking at wounded people and broken people, and and some of them are just teetering on like their last, you know, just straw kind of thing. This like you're looking at this bruised reed, like, you know, just there, this plant, and it's been bruised, and it's just barely hanging on, and he's gentle, and he doesn't, he doesn't you know, speak in a way or deal with them in a way that just leaves this trail of damage, that he's this one, if there's just this barely fire going out, he's, he's not, and it speaks of the way that he works and the kindness with which he does that. And it's certainly, again, a perfect picture of Christ, but one that should call us to say, hey, that's what we want to be. We long for our tongues to be those who are a tree of life, not the one who breaks a spirit. All right. Verse 5. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. So a fool, again, this person who is the opposite of wise, the person who lives life without biblical wisdom, isn't operating in any way there, says that person despises, despises being corrected, despises very specifically a father's instru- uh, correction and instruction, that place of, of being told no or being corrected is the idea in the midst of that. But in contrast, he who receives correction, he who receives correction is prudent. It is that place of being there. And one of the places in the midst of this is this understanding of how we do that, how well we respond to being corrected. He looks here at one who despises, one who honestly genuinely cares, that picture of a father who's investing and connected. There's one that would just totally refuse that, but there's somebody else who not only are they receiving correction, they'll receive it from others. It doesn't even have to be somebody who's that connected, but to be that place of being able to be corrected, and one of the keys of our lives is to be such people, to be the kind of person that we can be corrected, because let's just be clear. There's nobody in this room that you don't need to be corrected. There's nobody that's like, man, I do everything right. I mean, there's just not anything that I have anybody, place for somebody to come and say, you know. I don't know if you're, but that's, you know, we, we, we need general correction. We need that place, and it's a place of being able to embrace it. Now, there's an interesting thing in this proverb because the connection is not just a contrast. It might even be a fluid thing, and it's maybe a little bit more clearly in the Hebrew that, you know, the one who refuses the, the father's instruction will not receive instruction later on but the one who will receive a father's instruction later will. Think about it this way. David Guzik, again, in his commentary said, one's attitude towards parental teaching will determine one's lifelong attitude towards authority and instruction. It's an interesting reality that when you kind of gaze into the the way that God speaks to parents and and calls fathers to be that place of of discipline and throughout the Proverbs it's there and, and it really gives one thing to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. I mean, learn how to be corrected now because that so often will influence the way you handle correction the rest of your life. And I know that you guys know this. I know that you're a part of this. I think it's worth just saying it because some of you are parents now and grandparents now. And you live in a world that is challenging the biblical place of authority, challenging the place of saying to a child, that's wrong. <laughs> you, you, no, you can't do that. Um, you know, where it, many in our culture are, are saying, hey, you know, you just kind of let them be whatever, fully express who they are. And I'm just telling you, that is setting up a lifetime of damage uh, because it, you need to learn that and, and learn it early. Now, for some of you, you, you didn't learn it in your home. I'm just telling you, then learn it now. I mean, that was me. I didn't grow up with really good discipline. I didn't grow up with Christian parents. I had to learn. I had to, like, okay, God, catch me up on the, on the backup track. You know, I need to learn how to get this, how to, what it is to receive correction, because I didn't know that while well growing up. And God is faithful to do that, but it needs to be there. And so there's a foolish place of saying, I won't be corrected. But those who, who receive correction, it, it really does mark this wisdom that would mark our lives and needs to. Uh, to be there. May you be someone who, you know, can be corrected, Uh, you know, that God would allow, you know, you to be that person that iron sharpens iron, and other people come into your lives to help you grow in the ways of God, and the things that are there. May it be so in your life, and may you not be the obstinate one that our world is building in people right now that pretty much, you know, nobody can tell me anything, uh, kind of attitude, which we don't want to be in our lives. All right. Number six, verse six. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the, the revenue of the wicked is trouble. So we're we're being invited to look into this place and we're looking at the house of the righteous and the idea of here's someone who's who's righteous and righteous in in, in the ways of God. He says, when you look at this one, there is much treasure. All right, we say this pretty much every week, but we ought to pause right here because we need to make sure we're saying it very, very clearly. Righteous is a pretty powerful word. We've been talking about wisdom and folly, which is true. But when the Bible uses righteous, uh, it's important that we kind of wrap our minds around that. What is righteous? Well, righteous is a pretty simple word that means to be right, to live right. With who? With God. Righteous is to be right with God, to live right before God. Righteousness really is that person who's living right before God. Therein lies the problem because outside of Jesus, you're not righteous. Uh, There's no one righteous. No, not one, Paul would tell us in the book of Romans. If righteousness is our standard, then we are really, really in trouble. But that's the beauty of what we come to celebrate tonight. We celebrate the gospel. We celebrate the goodness of Christ, that Jesus came so that he could pay for our sins, so that we could be made righteous before him, that we could be declared righteous, righteous before him. And that's the only way it's going to work. And so when we think about righteousness, it has to begin there. And I need to say that because if you're here this evening and you're not right with God, then nothing else will ever be right. There's no way to have right without being right with God. And that only happens in Jesus. There's no other way. And so saying it clearly, if you're not there, if you're joining us online right now and you're not there, then we're inviting you to Jesus because you need to be made right. Now that righteousness should continue. I mean, because it begins with the statement of being saved, but the Bible tells us that he continues that. In fact, he'll use pretty big words that when we think about being made right, and as we'll think about the word of justification that we're declared right before God, but then we are go into this process that the Bible talks about as sanctification, where being declared right we are, but now he begins to help us live right so that we're being changed day by day to be more right in God's sight, that's what we need, and Proverbs comes in part to speak that into our lives, to say, yeah, we might be right with God, but we wanna be those who are actually living that out, that we're doing what's right in God's sight, that we're doing what's pleasing to him. So take that as a definition now as we think about this, and again, inviting you to that. So here you have someone who's trying to live right with God, and it's as if their house, as if their, their very abode, their life, everything, in there, there's just treasure, there's just good things that can be found there. There's, there's things that, that are life-giving and, and, and helpful that flows out of a life that's right with God. In contrast, he tells us the revenue uh, of the wicked, that is people who are wrong, they're wrong with God, and they gain. It doesn't mean they don't get stuff. They get stuff in this world, but it is trouble. It is trouble, and, and that is just an understatement. Uh, some of you know it well. Some of you have lived some of this. We are like, man, when I I did wrong, it created a lot of problems. I mean, I had lots of problems. I mean, it just creates problems everywhere. It creates problems with people. It creates problems in, in, in situations. It just is poisonous. But when you're right with God, it's this place where life is there and it's this flow out of it and he's just calling us to say, hey, there, there's something to be seen there that if you could compare the house of the righteous and the revenue of the wicked, you know, yeah, people who are wicked, they, sometimes they make money or they might get successful in our world or have any of those things. It's like, but it's filled with trouble. Over here though, over here, it's, it's this beautiful thing. It's, it's treasure that should be found there and something that we could be able to value it That way. Well, he'll continue saying that a little bit more in this chapter, so we'll just keep going. Going down there, verse seven. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. So we're coming back to really where we began the chapter this idea of this soft answer, this place of being there, and this idea of lips that speak, and and the lips of the wise. He says, when that's there, it's just it's knowledge. It's just what flows out of that, when you're walking in that, when you're living a life, you're, you're, you, you, you're careful with your words, your you know, soft answers, gentle, and, and, and walking in the midst of all that. It says that's a great thing. But the contrast to it is the heart of the fool. It is interesting to just notice the comparisons. Again, you could spend much more time on it than we just do in this quick uh, kind of pass-through in the Proverbs. But it's interesting to notice that he's comparing the lips of the righteous and the heart of a fool. He's comparing the lips of a righteous because in one sense he's looking at the fruit of somebody who's right, but he's looking at the the one who's wrong and, and just noting even before it comes out of their mouth, it's wrong inside. Jesus would speak this. Some of you would recognize this when, when he'd say, You know, it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. You know, when somebody speaks evil and, and they're unkind, it's like, Ah, I know where that came from. That's your heart. I mean, it's wrong. And, and that's in the midst of that. He says, So the heart of this fool, you know, literally not so. He says, When you, when you think about it, he says, You know, the lips of the righteous disperse knowledge. The heart of the fool, mm-mm, it's not there. It's not life-giving. It doesn't flow out of that because, again, it's this rejection of God in his ways, and it's not just a problem with words. It's a problem of heart. Now, it's important, again, to make sure we say it that way because we're talking about this soft answer that turns away wrath. We're talking about being like Jesus, who, you know, a smoking flax we're not, we're not putting out. We're, you know, being those that flow out of this, but this isn't just a matter for fixing you know, what we're saying, but where it's coming from, that, again, Jesus would tell us, hey, the problem isn't just that you said it, the problem was it came out of your heart, and so often that's where it needs to go, it's like, okay, man, you know, I, I just, I'm unkind, I'm, 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 I'm cruel, and sometimes the way I spoke, and I don't just need to learn how to change my words, I need God to help me change my heart, you know, because I, I want to be somebody who's, right with God, and that's flowing out of the way that I speak so that this lips of the wise, that, I, that this knowledge is flowing, you know, not just from my lips, but again, obviously from my heart, and certainly that which God calls us to, and a place where he can and does work. May we know that well. All right, you can turn the page over if you're tracking in the booklet, verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. So we look here at the wicked and just, you know, even though they they give a sacrifice and the idea would even be like a very costly sacrifice. It says to that, God looks on it and it's an abomination to him. It's an abomination. It doesn't find that pleasing because it's not the sacrifice, it's the heart. And if the person is wrong, if they are, this person is wicked no matter what they're doing, even though they might even be trying to do a good thing. God says it's an abomination. In contrast, the prayer of the upright, Uh, the person who's right with God, who does something, can we say it this way, as simple as a prayer, God says that's his delight, that's his delight, so I know that you guys get this, I know it's a probably pretty easy thing, but just again, I want to make sure you compare the the contrast, he he looks at one, and uh, who would offer, you know, just sacrifice, or offering, you know, great things, And, and I think about when, when, Samuel would even speak to Saul and says, you know, you know that has the Lord delight in, 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 in such sacrifices, you know, that, that, that wickedness, the rebellion would, would so often be the thing that would make all of that displeasing. So imagine it this way. Let's imagine the sacrifice just so we can wrap our mind around it um, as something that somebody would do today. Let's say it's a really big thing that they do. Maybe somebody, you know, gives away a million dollars, you know, to feed the poor, or a million dollars to invest into, you know, some good, even gospel cause. Like they get behind and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to invest into, you know, this. And, and, and it's this big sacrifice. I mean, it's costing them a bunch of things. But God looks and says, but if that person's wicked, God doesn't look on them and go, well, you know, a million dollars. Like that was a million dollars. And I, I reckon, you know, he, it doesn't move. It's like, no, you're, but you're wrong with me. And so no matter what you do, no matter how much you, do, you know, spend or give, that's not going to make it right. In contrast, if you're right with God, if you are that person who is upright, it, the, the, even the simplest things, and prayer is powerful, so don't take this as some kind of statement that prayer is not, but prayer is something all of us can do. There's n- n- probably many of us in the room are like, I couldn't give away a million dollars, I don't got a million dollars, but I could pray. And God says, I'd love that. I could look on the million-dollar sacrifice and go, it it just, it's ugly. I don't like it. But I look on your prayer, and God says, I love that. He says, I delight in it. I delight in that because, again, it's flowing out of that heart that's right. And it just gives us that really clear statement that's all the way through the scripture that it's really, that's the key thing. And, And the sad reality is that sometimes people will do very big things or okay what do I have to do to make God happy you know okay I'll go to church you know I'll, I'll, I'll do what I have to do you know as if someone's like well, that's not going to fix it you got to get right with God like I mean that's never going to make him happy you know just because you okay fine you know I'll, no it's got he wants you to be right with him there's no other way that it that it should be there and it's the only way to be pleasing but you can be And he calls us to make sure that we see that, that it's not just what we do, but again, being right with God that would flow out of that. And that could be a place where he would absolutely delight in us. He would absolutely meet us in that, which is an absolutely wonderful, beautiful thing. All right. Well, he continues, says the way of the wicked in verse nine is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. So again, now we're looking at this wicked person and God just says it again in another way. So the person who is living out a wicked life, God hates it. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. It's an abomination to him that he's not calloused. He's not cold. He looks at the brokenness of our world and it grieves him more than it grieves you. In contrast, he absolutely loves. He looks on him. He loves. God looks upon this. He loves the one who follows righteousness. In one of these places, again, it just draws us to see this. Now, Let me press into this for a moment because I think probably we're okay here, but sometimes we fall into this weird space that the deceptions of this world, some of the lies of this world permeate the way that we live because there's a whole bunch of people that it's not that they don't believe in God, they're just not really sure that God is that involved uh, you know, there there is kind of this place where some kind of think, well, God's the creator of the universe, and he kind of wound up a clock. Benjamin Franklin was one that kind of believed this and said, hey, you know, he's he's not actually involved; he just kind of started the process, you know, and now it runs on its own. But the Bible's telling us something very, very different. God says, I see it all; I see every, and I'm paying attention to everything that's happening, and and, and I'm 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 grieved. Or, or I'm pleased. And so he would look upon this and he says, you know, when he looks, it's not like he is uh, not paying attention to the wickedness of the world, nor is he cold, um, which happens sometimes to us, where we can, you know, because of the amount of information we have, we can kind of develop that compassionate fatigue where we're not always just like, oh, it's just hard to, you know, just see all the brokenness of the world and, and just, you know, not get callous. But God hates it it's an abomination to him, but he delights. He is engaged right now so that he sees those who are doing what's right in his eyes, and he just loves it. (laughs) I mean, he just loves that. I mean, there's a God who's fully engaged into all of this, and again, it's a beautiful place for us to make sure that we see it that way, that we understand that God is the one who is doing that. All right, verse 10, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. And he who hates correction will die. Harsh discipline. This place, that that's what's gonna be there. Because someone's doing wrong, what needs to happen in that person's life is discipline. It needs to happen because he's one who forsakes the way of the right way. going into the wrong way. And there's need of correction. There's need uh, of, of discipline. And God brings, God works that sometimes, but there's an absolute need for someone to be corrected And shown that they're going the wrong way. I think about the story of the prodigal son, and you know, many of you guys know it there in the book of Luke. And watching this young man go the wrong way until finally he's just, I'm going the wrong. What am I doing? Like, I'm. Why why am I living over here? God so often brings in correction, but for the one that won't receive it, for the one that hates that correction, he says he'll die. He will die. He will die in his sins. He will die in, in his rebellion. You know, because that's where, it, where it's going. And the reality is that's what's happening in so many places in our world right now. There, you know, God is faithful. God is faithful in pursuing people and seeking to bring in correction and seeking to bring in that, you know, his place of, of turning people from the wrong way and, and drawing them to the right way. But if they refuse it and turn away, it eventually leads to a course where there's no hope at all, to where there's only death. You know, I think about it. In one sense, some of you could process this through and you might even be thinking about somebody right now But can I just, as carefully as I can say it, please don't let it be you. Please don't let it be you. Don't let it be you if you're here this evening, if you're joining us online. It could be that God is correcting you right now. I mean, that in one sense you've tuned in and you've come because you're thinking, you know, I know know I'm not not necessarily doing as well as I should be doing. And yet there's such a place of, of being so close, being right there, and then being like, never mind, I'm don't. i I'm not going to turn. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to quit You know, going down that course. And that's, to, that choice becomes one that will harden your heart to the place where there's no more hope left. And, and that's a scary, scary place. And, and so just inviting you again to say, no, if, if you're going to forsake the way, then discipline will be there. But you can't hate it because if you become one that will no longer receive correction and your heart grows hard, and there's no rescue there. Don't let it be you. Don't let it be you. Be it tonight if, if you're in that space that God would even now bring in correction. Well, flip the page. Uh, verse 11. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. So how much more are the hearts of the sons of men? So certainly kind of thematically here in Proverbs 15, we, we join to it again. And really, if we're gonna look at maybe what's the good statement here, this one's a little bit harder to kind of lock down, but it certainly is this idea of what God sees of that which is before him, which is already highlighted a couple of places for us in this chapter, that God sees everything, that he's evaluating it, and he's delighting, and he's hating those things. But he simply says not only that, hell and destruction, like he sees it right now. He sees the past, he sees the future. He knows where the rebellion of men are going. He knows the certainty of hell. He knows the certainty of of eternal judgment. It is very clear to him. It's something that both he can, you know, witness where we're going, but he's he's a God who sees everything. He sees the past and the future, and and he fully comprehends the brokenness of mankind, which is horrendous in many ways and, and powerful. But he says, how much more If we could see that, how much more it is right now that not only can he see everything, he sees your heart. That there's not any space that God is confused. Um, That's, again, just good to know. It's just good to know that God knows you and, and he understands where you are. He understands what's taking place and he's inviting you to be right with him. Again, we live in a world where for some, that's just not what they embrace. They kind of think, well, you know, I'm not sure that God, I'm not sure I really believe in a God. And if I do, I don't think he really knows me. I don't think he really understands my situation. I don't think he really understands what I'm going through. I don't think he really un- sees the, the weight of my, life. it's like he does, like he fully knows you. He fully understands and he's, he's trying to fix, he'll bring in that correction. He will invite you into righteousness as, as one who could know you like nobody else does. He fully does. And, and he's inviting us to live that way in light of God. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than, than you can comprehend yourself. It would talk about it in the Psalms that he knows every thought that we think, every word that we speak. He's able to discern the whole of our life. And that just changes things. Just to have a God, okay, God, you know. I mean, you understand. And I, okay, I, I want to be that person who lives in that type of a relationship, seeking to be right with a God who is that involved and who knows me that well. Verse 12. A scoffer does not love one who corrects him, nor will he go to the wise. So it returns to this idea of someone who won't receive discipline. This scoffer, this one who is, huh, don't tell me what to do. Don't, don't give me any of those things. He says he doesn't love. He doesn't, he doesn't receive someone who loves them enough uh, to try to correct them, and to be honest, that's a hard thing to do. It's hard to correct somebody. It's hard in love to do that. But how good it is when someone can do that and say, "Okay, thank you, thank you enough for for being there." But this scoffer doesn't do that. Doesn't love that. Doesn't receive it, and, and won't go for it. You know, it won't be that one. He, nor will he be one who will go to the wise when they know they need help. When they know they're 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 they're, they're messing up in many ways. And just it's a horrendous place of kind of watching this person who not only won't receive it, won't hear it, won't choose it, um, to be corrected. And again, can I just say it? Don't let it be you. Be one who can be corrected. Be one that says, okay, God, correct me. God, correct me. Show me where I'm wrong. Use somebody else. Bring somebody in my life who could lovingly tell me what I need to hear. I hope you're there. I hope you're in that space of just wanting to be that type of person because we definitely need that. All right. Verse 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. So the good thing is a merry heart, this cheerful, this joyful heart. And he says, here's what it does. It just changes, it changes everything. It changes your countenance. It changes the, the way that you handle that. The contrast to it is the sorrow of heart. He says, when, when that's there, the spirit is broken. So, interesting proverb. In one state sense, it's a statement of fact uh, that we could probably do well to make sure that we recognize that, you know, when somebody is is sad, you know, and, and going through something I- incredibly sad, that that just, that can be a brokenness, and it can break their spirit, and there needs to be a gentleness that would walk in the midst of this. Uh, again, and yet owning also just the place of, of a joy and its place in our life. That said, It's more than a statement of fact. In fact, he's gonna say it a few times uh, in this chapter and say it in Proverbs a number of spaces that he's really laying this as a choice for you to choose, if you will, your attitude. See, the Bible tells us to be joyful. In fact, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. And again, I will say rejoice, Paul would say in the book of Philippians. It's not meant to be like, well, yes, yeah, sometimes I'm joyful. And sometimes, no, we, we, there is a place where we can choose joy. Where we can, where we can say, okay, that's that, that's where I, I I want to be. That person that responds this way. I think about Paul and Barnabas. I mean Paul and Silas when they are arrested there in, in Philippi and they're you know beaten and lashed for, for all that. They're locked into a prison and they're in chains and, and we and, and you kind of find yourself okay you know zooming in there in the book of Acts and you're like okay are they going to be like moaning and complaining and griping and whining and you know talking bad about everything? It's like they're not. They're singing songs. And, and they're worshiping, and it's like, wow, that, that's, that's, okay, I didn't think that, you know, but I just going to tell you, that doesn't, that, it wasn't like, oh yeah, it was such a natural thing, I just, you know, we were having such a good day getting beaten, and, and stalks, and, and, and locked in chains, it just was a natural thing, you know, we just kind of found ourselves thinking, let's just, it's like, they chose, we're gonna, we're gonna choose joy, we're gonna choose in this moment to, to be joyful. Uh, to, to be in the response of that. And so the idea is that when you do that, it, it changes. I mean, it actually begins to transform your countenance. It begins to change, you know, how you do that because you've chosen, in that sense, or to have that kind of just heart of gratitude, that, that, that joy that's meant to be there. It'll change what's there. On the other hand, when, when you just let sorrow consume you, it'll break you. It'll break you, and and again, I'm not trying to be harsh. I want to just say it gently because I don't want to be uh, cruel to anybody, but I'm just saying sometimes it's a choice. It's a choice you've made. It's a choice that you've allowed yourself to look at life all that way and to, and just to let it become something that grips you that way. Wow. He's going to say it again in another proverb. so let's keep going and, and see say it in another place. Turn the page, and verse 14 It says, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. So the heart of him who has understanding, this person who's trying to walk in God's ways, who's trying to live right with God, says he's seeking knowledge. He's he's recognizing he or she is in that place of saying, I want to know. I want to grow more. I want to grow in the things of God. I hope that's where you are this evening. But in contrast, the mouth of fools, people who are not walking in God's ways, rejecting it, it's as if they just feed on foolishness, Uh, you know, just incited by that. Now, I find myself wanting to say a whole bunch here, but I'm going to say it just very briefly. We live in a really weird world right now. And if I could say it this way, there's a lot of things happening on social media. There's a lot of stuff happening on the news networks that if you were altogether honest, you're like, that's feeding on foolishness. That's what that is. Like, like that. Just is just. You know, it's not even clear. It's not accurate. It's and it's just this place of like, what are you doing? And and so much God is inviting you and I to say, I want to be a person of the truth. I want knowledge. You know, I, I want to know what God is doing. I want to have this heart of understanding. And I don't want to be the one that so easily just is, you know, flipping back and forth by every wind and change of, of, of things that so often feeds the folly of our world. Uh, just simply put, may it not be you and me. All right, well, we come back to this picture of joy. Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who has a merry heart has a continual feast. So all the days of the afflicted, all the one who you know, just looks at life that way, it's always bad. It's all bad. It's all evil. I mean, it's not like there's a couple bad days. They're all bad days. Um, you know, if there's this person, if we can, again, say this gently, you know, who has kind of a woe is me, you know, life is unfair attitude about everything. And, and again, you may have spent some time there. You might know someone. It's like everything's bad you just feel like the whole world's against you and you spend your days kind of feeling that nobody likes you and everybody treats you badly and you always get the wrong end of the stick and woe is me, poor me. He says, if that's where you are, then your whole life is evil. Like everything's bad because that's all that you see. That's that's the only way, you know, your own kind of attitude is just choking out your life. But he says, you know, the one that has this merry heart who chooses joy that, that, it's just continual feast, it's a place where it's like, it's continually life-giving, I mean, instead of it being evil, it's like, you know what, you know, I just, I choose that, you know, I just, there, there, there are people that do this really, really well, we have a few in our church, I won't mention them by name, because I just don't, but there's a few, and some of you will know them, it's like, man, every time you get them, they just, you know, even if they're having a hard time, and you like, you know, text them, or call them, they have you laughing, and you're like, I was calling you to encourage you and now you're making me laugh. And, you know, it's like, well, I guess that's just, you're, wow. I mean, it's just amazing to kind of just, you know, walk in the midst of that and think that's the way I want to be. I want to be the person that is, is this person who has this merry heart. Because again, so often it really is flowing outside of what's happening inside of you. That's determining the way that you view your life. So it's what's happening in, inside of you that is determining how you see everything. And so, again, there are some people that all they, their whole world is like, man, life stinks, and it's bad. It's all bad, and it's all wrong, and everything's going wrong. It's like, ah, okay, but I think it might be you. You know, it might, it might be what's happening inside because there's a lot of things to choose joy. There's a lot of things right now to look at your life and think there's a lot of reasons to be joyful. A lot of reasons to recognize a faithful God. There's a lot of reasons uh, that would be in the midst of that, and he certainly calls us there. All right, well, enough said except to just invite you to that kind of joy. Verse 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. Pretty simple proverb, but easy to understand. It says better to be poor, better just to have the Lord and yet have his fear. Like that's a good life than to have great treasure, to be very, very wealthy and yet be filled with trouble, to have your life marked with the pain and sorrow of it. I mean, if you could choose between the two, it would be better to choose, you know, God, I'd rather be on your side even if it never get rich or wealthy, even if that never becomes it. although God can bless in the midst of it. It's not always a, you know, because, but it's a better place to be. He adds to it, gives us another proverb, verse 17, that says it in the same way. Better is a dinner where, of herbs where love is. Better to have, you know, all you have is just, you know, you kind of get just some, uh, you know, all you can have is just herbs and you don't have, don't have enough money to have anything else. You can't and that day go get meat or have a, a great meal Then someone else who has the fatted calf, who has just the chief of the meals in those days, but man, it's filled with hatred. I mean, if you could choose it, you would definitely say, okay, I, I want to be, you know, in, in the one that walks in, in the ways that God would have, to choose this place, to, to be where God is and, and, and walks in the things that are there. He would invite you and I, you know, into a way that's beautiful in that. Right. Well, flip the page, just do a couple more, and then we will wind it up for this evening. It gives us, in verse 18, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. So, again, you, you should be hearing it saying the same way, like we've said it throughout the evening. Somebody who's wrathful, I mean, somebody who is, is, is angry, they just stir up strife, kind of like it said in verse 1. Like that you know, soft answer turns away wrath, but somebody who's just, rah, they, they create problems in every conversation. But he who's slow to anger, one who's not going to get easily incensed. I mean, you're not going to be, you know, they says if you'll do that, it, it stops the fight before it begins. It is that place of just thinking, I'm not, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person that just goes, you know, just blows up really, really fast. Certainly God is calling us again to soft answers and being slow to wrath. Verse 19, the, the way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. The way of the lazy, and certainly that's one of the things that's being laid out in the book of Proverbs, is to, that, that concept that laziness is bad, it's not meant to be something that we should pursue, it's not meant to be the ideal life. He says it's like a hedge of thorns. It's like a hedge of thorns. Well, let's keep going so we can make the contrast, but if we're to look at the way of the upright, the one who's doing it way, it's this free highway. So in some ways, you're, you're just meant to almost picture this. So someone who's walking with God, and they're walking right. It's as if they're walking on, on a pathway that just has opened up. It, it, it opens up into a, a free course and, and able to move. But someone who's walking wickedly and, and living lazy, it's, it's as if they're having to navigate through a hedge of thorns. Or maybe imagine this way. I don't know if you've ever, you know, kind of been there and you're maybe walking in the mountains and you're, you're not trying to, you know, follow one of these trails. And sometimes, you know, the trails can just be clear. I mean, it's like it's a good, clean trail. And you're like, man, I know right where I am, I not right where I'm walking. And then every now and then, if you if you're like us, you know you end up wandering on some trail, and then pretty soon you're not even sure you're on a trail any longer, and then pretty soon you're like, okay, pushing back the branches, and like God, oh, you know, they're they're grabbing you everywhere, and ouch, 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 it's like what happened? I mean, where, where how do where do we we got off the track somehow? Like somehow we're you know we we, we we we're lost. And he says that's kind of what happens here. It's like you're there, and instead of this free, just you know being able to live life, you are walking through a mess that ultimately is because you've you've left the path, you've left the course of righteousness, and it's again, the idea is to say that's not where you want to stay, like you you want to be able to realize like this is not life, you know, know, when when it gets like that, it's meant to be a place that turns you back on course, and draws us back to the things that God would have for us, because there is this place of this highway, this uh, place of, of walking in the, the, the ways, the path that God would lay out, and so often he is the one that opens that up, and uh, just a kind of, just this highway of holiness, just this place of, of walking with him that so often opens up a door that would invite us to a place that's good, and, and, and walking in the midst of that. That's really where I want to invite you this evening. There's a bunch of stuff we've talked about in the midst of this, but certainly there's a place of inviting us into a place of being right with God and and, and being in that space. And so throughout this evening, we've talked about it a number of ways from both what we speak and do, but ultimately wherever we are, that would so often determine our course. And, And part of that is being the person that would receive correction, be that person that would say, okay, God, if I'm off course, get me back on. If I'm off course, get me back on because that's what I need to. I want to be one that that gets fixed, that, that gets brought on course, because I want to walk in God's ways. I want to walk in that that's before us. I want to walk in those things that, that he would certainly bring us into, and certainly that's where we want to invite you into this evening. In fact, we want to do that this evening as we want to just transition from our study into a time that we're going to take communion. Um, we seek to give you the opportunity to take communion Several times a month. On the last uh, Wednesday of the month, that's when we do it here on our Wednesday night service. And it really is a space where we're going to invite you to come and just remember Jesus, just to seek Him. So let me just walk you through this for a second. Maybe you're here, maybe you're in our overflow, maybe you're online, and right now that's actually confusing. Uh, Communion really is a place where we remember that Jesus is the one that came for our fix, that we weren't right with God. God sent his son to pay the price for us and and his death, believing in him, saves us and brings us to be right. Communion is a place where we just come back and remember. We remember that Jesus is that, that he's the one that did that. And if you're outside of that relationship, then we're inviting you tonight to believe upon Jesus and be saved, to be rescued from that wrong life that is destruction and pain and sorrow and suffering and all that goes with it and eventually hell. And we'd invite you to be made right with him tonight. We would invite you to to be right with him. If that's you this evening, it would be a great time for you to take communion with us and surrender your life to Jesus. If you're not his and you're not going to surrender, then communion is not really for you. And so just don't take communion with us tonight. Just be one that you're watching from the outside, but we're certainly hoping that God would draw you to him. For the rest of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, then this is for you. You know whether you're visiting, whether this is your church, uh, you know whether you're in the midst of there's a place. If you know Him, you're invited to come and take communion as a place of remembering, remembering just that that He would be the one that you know you rescued me and and fixed. And so part of that would be a celebration, but part of that would be the place of maybe right now just needing to enter into it. Okay, God, you know, get me back on track. Get me, you know, I, I need to be right. Maybe I am the one that my words have been harsh and it's pretty clear where that's flowing. I've not been receiving correction really well. Um, yeah, Lord, I feel like I'm navigating through thorns right now. It's certainly not a pathway that you're opening up. Maybe it be a space for you tonight to come to Christ and say, God, forgive me. Just draw me, rescue me, and get me back on track. And so we'd invite you to take communion, even in that, just remembering Christ, remembering his rescue, and because he is the one that can make us right with God now. So that tonight you could walk in the righteousness of Christ, that you could walk in being right with Him, and we're certainly inviting you to do that. So here's what's going to happen: I'm going to pray in a moment, ask God to draw us into that. Then the worship team they're going to come up and they're going to lead a couple of worship songs. In the midst of these couple of worship songs, we're just going to invite you to take communion whenever you're ready. Uh, yeah, again, two songs, so you have a call, you have both songs will be there. We'll have communion uh, up here on two pedestals, and so whenever you're ready. Come up and get the communion. You can take the communion up here. Uh, You can take it back to your chair. You can stand, you can kneel, whatever works, but just take communion between you and the Lord, remembering Jesus and, and what he intends that to be. And when you're done taking communion, just continue worshiping with us again so that in the midst of it, you can worship. Uh, if you take the communion cup back to your chairs, uh, your chairs in front of you, there's a little uh, square, little uh, cubby little thing there, a little metal thing, you can just drop your cup in there. That's where that's for. And so uh, you'll be able to just kind of put it there so you can just continue worshiping And we'd invite you to do that. So again, whenever you're ready in the midst of these couple songs, come up, take communion, worship with us tonight, and may God draw us to a place of just being right with him. Let's go before him right now and ask him. Got to think about it. Some of what you've reminded us about in the book of Proverbs tonight is that you really do see us. There's not anything right now that you're unaware of. You're fully cognizant of all that's taking place. You're fully cognizant of our hearts. God, I just recognize where where that's good, you're pleased and and you, you find joy in that which flows out of a heart that's right. But you would never be happy with a heart that's wrong. Just coming to church, singing a song, giving a sacrifice, it'll never be enough. So God, I just pray right now that you'd bring us to be right with you. If there's anybody outside of just a relationship with you tonight, would you save them? Would you cause tonight to be an evening of surrender to you and to be rescued? If there's someone that's yours, and yet, Lord, they're not doing really well. They're, they're, they've just been making a, a series of bad choices. And right now, they're walking through like a hedge of thorns. Would you rescue? Uh, would you get them back on track tonight as we remember that you're the fix, Jesus? You're the one that died for our sins. You're the one that makes us right. You're the one that, that frees us and draws us to true righteousness. Would you work that a fresh way, even in those tonight? Lord, I pray for those who are not doing badly. Right, we're still in that place of your correcting, and probably even in the midst of this evening, things that just we needed to hear that get us back on track, but Lord, let us be just cognizant right now that you are the one that has brought us to this, that the reason we can walk, and in, in, in even some of the good is because you've done it. And would you help us to walk that way? Would it flow out of our lives Lord, if we would just believe this, we'd have enough reason to be joyful every day of our life if nothing else ever goes good for us again. If everything is going wrong in the world, but we're right with you, then we have more than enough reason to have joy. So God, would you help us to see it, to find that, and tonight as we take communion, that you would cause us to find our joy in you. Help us to remember you and just walk in this. I ask for it right now as we surrender all of this to you. Just asking that you make this communion just a significant time for each of us. Asking that right now, in Jesus' name, amen.